The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, take the needles out of your Hillary doll and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 314 with guest Adam Nathan, recorded live Monday, February 4th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's decided to run on the codependent ticket, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell here for your .NET listening pleasure. How are you, Richard? Doing just fine, sir. And you? I'm doing okay. It's day after hump day, Thursday, of course. Always a good thing. And uh, we're going to kick things off right away with Better Know Framework. All right, Hemi. Well, this is a kind of an interesting buried little namespace in uh, Windows Presentation Foundation, system.windows.converters. And this provides classes to support type conversion during serialization in WPF. So you have an int32 rect value serializer, which converts instances of strings to and from instances of int32 rect. Right. So my biggest, uh, the first thing I'm thinking of here is XAML parsing. Oh. Right? Because they convert strings to different things. So uh, points and rects and sizes and vectors. So um, I think that would be... Pretty useful. All that good stuff. All that good stuff. So there you go, system.windows.converters for your WPF pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I'm good. I got an email for you. Okay. Try this one on for size. Carl and Rich, thank you for your quality shows. As an admin, I have an appreciation for hearing the developer perspective. Good. I was really hoping for some PowerShell content, as I'm a sold-out PowerShell fanboy. Well, last Shows week... 306 and 311 both delivered on that count. Yeah. We all love PowerShell. Absolutely. We even did a DNR TV on PowerShell. You know, last week was Kirk Monroe week. Oh, no kidding. He got lots of coverage. We had him on Run As. We had shows. him on DNR. <laughs> he was everywhere. If we had gotten him on Hansel Minutes, then the earth would have, like, exploded. <laughs> <laughs> He goes on, I am also a podcaster and have recently begun using Shrinkster.com to link and provide easily accessible URLs to my listeners. I better not shut it down then. (laughs) Yeah, that would be bad. (laughs) I've actually created a PowerShell function to read a URL from my clipboard and replace it with a Shrinkster URL using the Shrinkster web service. So cool. I could Shrinksterize my show notes in no time. PowerShell is an extremely exciting product. I would love to hear additional shows about PowerShell development, commandlets, providers, and hosts. Awesome. Uh, wishing you continued success, Stephen Morawski, and he's the co-host of a podcast called A Couple of Admins Podcasting hmm. at www.acoupleofadmins.com. Awesome It's name. a URL. And a great little show, actually. I, I gave it a listen. They are definitely PowerShell fanboys. Well, good luck with that, guys. Podcasting is a lot of fun, as you know. 
and um, uh, we wish you continued success. And with that, let's introduce our guest today, Richard. Um, we're talking about Adam Nathan. Adam is a senior software development engineer at Microsoft and the founding developer of Popfly, Microsoft's first product built with Silverlight. He's the author of the best-selling Windows Presentation Foundation Unleashed, the 1600, that's right, kids, page, tome, .NET, and com, the complete interoperability guide, and most recently, Silverlight 1.0 Unleashed. Adam regularly speaks at development conferences and to internal groups within Microsoft about a variety of .NET topics. Having started his career on Microsoft's Common Language Runtime team in 1999, Adam has been at the core of .NET technology since the very beginning. Adam is also the creator of popular tools and websites for .NET developers such as pinvoke.net and its Visual Studio add-in. You can find him online at adamnathan.net. Welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Uh, we were talking before the show about uh, Jeff Atwood's ranting and raving about your book and, uh, and Charles Petzold, too. It so, was the WPF book that, that Jeff went off about, right? Yes. Yes, yes. Because you did this wonderful innovation that it seems like nobody else had ever thought of. You put color in the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why did yeah. it take it so long for people to figure this out? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I don't know why, why publishers hadn't done that before. I mean, basically, when I was um, getting started with it, um, I asked the, the publisher if there was any way they could do it in color. Um, and I wasn't even thinking about the, the code itself, really just the screenshots, since WPF is such a visual technology. Yeah. And um, there's so much to talk about, even just with colors and gradients and things like that. And um, basically, the, the guy that I work with, he had to um, do some work on his end to convince um, the powers that be that it was, it was worth the added expense. Yeah, obviously um, more expensive to print the book in color. Yes. Yeah. But the the thing is, I think there's so many variables that go into it as far as like the paper quality and um, and other things than just the color that um, I think I think you can make it work. And um, certainly they they decided it was worth the risk. And then um, um, the publisher came up with a great idea of even doing the code itself in the same colors that Visual Studio shows it. Well, what I, and it's amazing how much impact that has when you look at the book beside your screen. You know, everything looks the same. I think that's, we should go no other way. All I books agree. should be like this from <laughs> now agree, on. I agree, man. I, I can never read another book now. Yeah, we're ruined. <laughs> I'm ruined. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, certainly, yeah, definitely. Like for me, the biggest thing was probably with just the XML and seeing that in black and white versus the color. It, it just makes a huge difference in readability. Um, and it was actually a lot tougher to do that than you might imagine. I mean, even though I could, um, uh, paste code into Visual Studio into Word, um, keeping the coloring. Once I had to apply the various uh, formatting that the publisher requires, it it basically ended up that I had to hand color everything. Uh, oh, wow. So <laughs> a lot of time and energy went into making that happen. Well, it was worth it. <laughs> it really it took everything to a new level on that book. Now, the other thing we got to talk about is the interoperability book, because Personally, I'm amazed you managed to get it into 1,600 pages, oh. <laughs> which I happen to know for a fact is the limit of the binding. So <laughs> I'll bet you had 2,400 pages and they just didn't want to go to volume one and volume two. How do you two. know that, Richard, <laughs> that that's the limit of the binding? That happens to be the limit of the binding. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, the, the copy that I have in my office, actually, uh, the binding's not doing so well. But um, yeah, so the the original table of contents... I did have um, many more chapters, actually, than I ended up writing. Part of that was just me being naive about the amount of work it would take. Um, I believe, actually, I have it in front of me. So the, the book has 24 chapters. The original table of contents had 32 chapters. Oh, man. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. But, um, but yeah, it, it, uh, it was kind of funny. I remember people saying um, around the time when we were trying to convince people how easy interrupt was, that there's no way it can be easy if you can write a 1600 book about the topic. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, you know, looking back, I think, uh, if I were to write that book today, I'm sure I could make it a lot shorter. And, um, now which came first, pinvoke.net or the book? The book did. Um, I wrote that while I was working on, uh, the first version of the CLR, the core of the .NET framework. And um, the book actually shipped 
um, right around the time that uh, V10 of the .NET framework was released. Uh, I think it ended up being that same month, and um, it wasn't. In, it was actually during during the V11 release that I, I did pinvoke.net. And for those who don't know, pinvoke.net is a great resource when you're looking for those declare statements uh, uh, for for Visual Basic. I know that that's what I use it for. You know, when you're looking for those declare statements to the API, things that you don't think of, and uh, there's there's no really resource in Visual Studio for for pulling those in. Right. Uh, for a long time, we uh, kind of talked back and forth about uh, things we could do to help alleviate that problem. And uh, people would talk about shipping a, a, a standard library. Um, the big issue was that often you would want the signatures to be slightly different depending on your context. Right. And if you were to ship a binary, um, there would be um, it, it wouldn't meet everyone's needs. So, uh, you know, I remember thinking back to there was a tool that shipped with VB6. Right. I think it was called API Viewer. That's right. And it was just a simple text file, and you could search it. And for a while, I, I thought about, yeah, I really want to create a website, and I would think about all these fancy features it could have um, along the lines of people adding the signatures and searching them and viewing them. And it just seemed kind of like a daunting amount of work, so I had never did anything. And then finally, one weekend, I thought, well, wait a minute, why don't I just make it a wiki and kind of leave it open for people to contribute in, in freeform fashion um, what they want. And um, so, yeah, it was a weekend project, and it took off pretty quickly after that. Wow. That's a great resource. I used it. I was building a, a, a MIDI, um, not a driver, but a module, a class, where it would accept input and let you reroute it. So uh-huh. so I have this MIDI router, and I, and, and I used pinvoke.net to find those declare statements. Great. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, good there's, stuff. Uh, there's, there's definitely uh, um, a lot of um, little niches that uh, pinvoke can fill. Um, even as the framework gets more and more powerful, there's always going to be those little pockets of functionality that there's some great Win32 APIs for you to take advantage of. Yeah. So uh, the the Com Interop book is there anything that isn't there? I mean, you said you had a few chapters. What 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 stuff had to come out? Oh, <laughs> um, I think the the things that come to mind one. I was going to have uh, one extra end-to-end application example. Um, I don't even remember what that was at this point. Um, I was going to cover more about uh, Complus and uh, the component services side of things. Um, there's certainly things that could have been in there additionally. Um, at this point, it's hard for me to even remember yeah. <laughs> what all is in the book. So. Yeah. There was a there's a time when I could um, see if someone asked me a question and I could say, oh yes, that's right in the middle of chapter seven. But <laughs> yeah, these sure, days, we are talking back at like year two thousand. Yeah, that was here, a long right? time ago. Yeah, it, it was published uh, by the time it was published. Um, it was I think January two thousand two. Um, but yeah, basically, yeah, I think that year's right. Basically, all of uh, two thousand and one. Um, I was. <laughs> every night and weekend was occupied writing that book. And at the time, of course, Common Harop was the main thing we were concerned about around .NET because we had all of this existing code base. I wonder today about the amount of Common Harop going on. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it, uh, it's something that I, I don't have as, as much um, uh, direct contact with um, since it's been a while since I've worked in that area. Um my impression is that it's still uh it's still vital for for a wide variety of of applications i mean there's also a lot of focus on um interop as it relates to c++ code bases yeah and um so a lot of that may not actually be in the com interop side of things but um a lot of the same functionality a lot of the same technology for bridging managed and unmanaged code is still very very vital for for a lot of existing code bases i got to think there's still a lot of shops that are planning to move to .net that still haven't you know the early sure, adopters yeah. were there and we were on that wave so from our perspective it's like oh everybody's done it already mm-hmm. but the, you know the reality is you know what it's like out there there right. are companies still running windows 2000 machines 
Yeah, right, but so. we are four versions in, so the whole version issue's gone by now. That issue has gone, yes. Worrying about different versions. Now, I'm looking at the progression here from the interoperability guide to the WPF book to Silverlight 1.0, and the trend is substantially smaller. <laughs> uh, I pulled up your little Popfly applet here, went 1,600 pages to 656 pages to 272 pages. Right. So my question is... Did you get smarter, or did the topics get simpler? Both, I hope. Um, <laughs> actually, not so much me getting smarter as me just not having as much patience as I used to. Yeah. We're willing um, to write it all out in longhand this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is just no way I could ever write a book as large as the Interrupt book again. I, I just I can't do it. Um, and I think part of what helped as, as I did each new book is that it's, it was smaller than the last one. It seemed like it would happen more quickly. And actually, it did happen a bit more quickly each time um, as far as the, the length of the writing process. But, um, but no, it, it, it's, it's the, the losing the patience and, and the fact that they're just um, smaller, um, more manageable topics. I mean, WPF is a pretty huge topic, and yep. that book could have been a lot larger than it was. Um, but Silverlight, even in the the what two hundred fifty odd pages, um, it was it pretty much covered all there is to know about Silverlight one point oh. Speaking of Silverlight one point oh, where are we in regards to Silverlight two point oh, and uh, you know what 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 stage are we at? Well. Um, so 2.0 is is still in development. Um, I don't know um, actually what timelines have been announced, but um, you know 2.0 is coming soon. Yep. And uh, I, I expect to see more um, interim releases as time goes on. So developers will get uh, updated previews. The the preview that's out there right now I think is getting pretty old. Mm-hmm. Um, that is still labeled 1.1, um, which is confusing, but it's actually the right. 2.0 release. Sure. Well, they made a, the decision to name it 2.0 after. Yeah. So um, do you have your hand in the development of Silverlight 2.0? Um, so not really. I mean, I, actually, for Silverlight 1.0 and 2.0, I'm more of a consumer than anything else uh, because on the PopFly team, we heavily use Silverlight. And um, so so I'm, I'm involved to the same degree I was with 1.0. Sure. Um, and, early adopter. Uh, or early adopter, yeah. And what are your impressions thus far with with what you've seen of two o or one point one preview? Def, definitely um, great, great things in there. Um, on the one hand, coming from uh, being used to WPF, it's great to see uh, Silverlight get more of the functionality that WPF already has. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of the things that are sorely missing from one o, whether it's built-in controls or some of the fancier. Um, artistic kind of things like tile brushes or mm. more powerful animations. Um, all that stuff is, is coming in and is great to see. And then, of course, there's the whole language side of things where mm. um, over the past year and a half working on PopFly, I've actually learned to love JavaScript. But, um, <laughs> Apparently, you're the only one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's it's... Yeah, it's not so bad. Definitely the, the tool side of things uh, leaves a lot to be desired, but um, JavaScript is a nice language. And um, But but having the, the opportunity to use C-sharp, use VB, use other languages is, is a great, great um, boost to productivity um, to the point where I think when people think of Silverlight 1.0, you think about um, fancy animations or fancy graphics um, in the browser and doing that in a in a cross-browser way, which is great. But with Silverlight 2.0, it also opens the door for, even if you're not doing something that's rich graphically, you can still take advantage of the developer productivity of, say, using C-sharp or VB, having the um, set of APIs that are uh, cross-browser, cross-platform. And um, and so even if you decide that you're still using HTML as your presentation layer, um, you can still do some great things with Silverlight 2.0. So I think that's pretty neat, and there's a lot of um, options and flexibility there. Do you know the perfect formula for building and managing websites? Follow me here. Zero effort plus Sitefinity CMS equals infinity in website development. 
That's right. Telerik challenges you to explore its innovative Sitefinity content management system and offers you a chance to win a sleek Zune MP3 player or a Sitefinity license. These cool awards could be yours if you only answer a few easy questions about Telerik's Sitefinity CMS. All you have to do is watch five short movies and see how easy it is to build infinitely beautiful websites with zero effort. You'll learn some cool facts about Sitefinity and the effortless creation of websites. So go to www.sitefinity.com and give it a try. It's fun, it's interesting, and it can get you a free license or a free Zune. I get the sense uh, from the developer community that they're really struggling to take advantage of WPF, that they're still looking to, how am I going to build my apps with this? I keep seeing these amazing visual demos and thinking, I can't do that. <laughs> uh, so, and then I look at Silverlight and I think almost like they took the simpler portions of WPF and said, here's a smaller can to play in hmm. that you can go work on a website point of view where you knew you needed some help anyway. So it's almost like we're backing into WPF by going to Silverlight. Um, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I can see that. Um, I think, you know, one, one thing that maybe was a tough pill to swallow was the idea for some that they should have a graphic designer working on their Windows applications, it's kind of taken for granted if you're building a website that uh, there's a, there's an important uh, design piece of it, and it's best to leave that to professionals. Um, and uh, so the, the idea that, oh, gee, if I want to create a really slick Windows application, I'm going to need a professional graphic designer to, to create these visuals. Well, well, yeah, that, that's probably true unless you have someone that just has a knack for that naturally. Well, there was a time when Microsoft released the style guide book to Windows app that told you where the help menu should be and where the file menu should be and so forth. And as developers, yeah, we just followed the rules. And there's nothing yeah. like that really now today, is there? I mean, it's sort of just anything goes, the more innovative, the better, right? For WPS? Yeah. Right. Um, there, there could be something that I'm just not aware of, but, um, but right. Uh, I'm not, I'm not aware of any new level of, of guidelines, um, other, as far as the UI is concerned. Um, and I think that's part of the intent of WPS. I mean, really yeah. people have decided that, um, differentiating their their software differentiating ha having their brand infused throughout is is a good thing um and certainly uh older windows technologies made that really really difficult to do in a robust way so um that that's part of the beauty that you can radically alter the styles of things and guess what there's still buttons there's still radio boxes there's still menus but they have a nice slick user experience that uh users are starting to demand these days. You know, I, th I think I mentioned this before, but, um, you know, when, when the style guide was really, uh, you know, all the styling and standardization of UI was really important, was when people were just learning how to use the PC, really. Mm. And so now, I think uh, you, the majority of uh, your business users are comfortable with the standard stuff, and they just want something a little different. It's That's an evolution, I see it as. Yeah, and I, I think... Yeah, there's probably a balance, and certainly if you're writing business applications, you probably still want to stick to pretty uh, standard sure. paradigms. But definitely, as you try to do more consumer-facing things, um, you know, we we've seen the kind of impact, uh, like the iPhone or TiVo, yeah. uh, Xbox, things like that, make with with really custom user interfaces. So I'm falling back on my Alan Cooper about face, you know, how to build user applications, the, the, the UIs and so forth. And this concept of, I never let go of the concept of the sovereign app, you know, the, the, the app that always has my attention in the mm. business environment. And for me, when I was building those applications, my focus was on expediency of operation that, that this is person's going to learn this app backwards and forwards. They're going to mm. know it. And so the fewest number of keystrokes is what counts. The most amount of information in the least amount of time is what counts. And I still struggle with, is WPF actually going to help me with this? Mm. Yeah, I, I think the definitely the goal is that WPF is a generic enough 
platform that um, it should be able to handle whatever kind of application you want to build just because it has a lot of features in place to do the radical restyling and um, 3D graphics and animations and things like that. Um, it still strives to be really great at creating any kind of, of Windows app, maybe what other people would consider a typical Windows application. And um, and and I think that it still has ways to go in, in various areas, but um, the potential is definitely there. I'd like to talk about Popfly if I can. Sure. First of all, bravo. That is wonderful stuff. Oh, thanks. And for those who haven't seen popfly.com, what it is is it's a way to create mashups. And a mashup, as defined at popfly.com, is any website that uses components of two or more other websites. So you can think of it just as uh, using websites as inputs and outputs and just linking those things together to create something interesting. And uh, there's just a great tutorial to get you started and lots of tools and anybody who likes to fiddle with stuff and <laughs> is just going to have a field day up there. It's it's wonderful stuff. And you're using Silverlight 1.0 um, yeah. for this. And, I, and also there must be a lot of Ajax going on, right? Yes. Uh... We do use uh, ASP.NET AJAX and and Silverlight 1.0. We do a lot of mixing and matching of of HTML content and Silverlight content, and using AJAX approaches all over the place. Well, I got to say, you know, we interviewed Dino Esposito about mm-hmm. Silverlight and and WPF and things while we were in Bulgaria, and one of his comments was really kind of funny, which was uh, that he can he says Silverlight 2.0 is where it, well 1.1 at the time is where it's really at. That's where he's really going to be interested. He called Silverlight 1.0 and a, a glorified animated GIF generator, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of funny. And we got some you know he got a little flack I guess, and you know then some rah rah too. But uh, you know when you go to Popfly and you look at it, it just that's not the first impression that comes to mind. It really feels very rich and layered and uh, interactive. How'd you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I'm, I'm definitely proud of what we've able, uh, been able to do with Popfly, and I do think it serves as a great example of the power of Silverlight 1.0 that it's not just about playing videos. It's not just about animated yeah. GIF uh, type of functionality. Um, it it is basically limited to rich display uh, since it doesn't have that language piece that that Tuo has. Um, it, 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 you know, it, you can do so much with it. Though it has all the building blocks for for drawing shapes, for all kinds of rich coloring, animation. And one nice thing about it is, even though you're still using JavaScript, when you talk to Silverlight objects, that is consistent across browsers um, and across platforms. You know, one of the biggest pains with writing JavaScript in the browser is differences in the HTML DOM. Right. And you still have that to the degree you interact with HTML, but to the degree you interact with Silverlight, it's consistent, it's easy, and... Uh, with with the drawing and the events, I mean, you can do a whole lot. For the most part, with 2.0, as far as Popfly is concerned, um, it adds great developer um, productivity features, some great performance improvements, but a lot of the things you could do with 1.0 if you're willing to put the work in. It's, it's just more work, that's well, it's, all. That's what it seems like. It seems like that, you know... Uh you could do it, you know, and maybe uh, a couple of other people in the world could do that. But, uh, you know, it's, I'd like to see the source code. Or maybe I wouldn't, you know. maybe. Yeah, what did you write it in? What is Popfly written in? Well, so Popfly is a bit of an interesting story because um, this, for me, it was, it was the first thing I've been involved with from the start. Um, when I joined, uh, I was joining a team of one, um, so we became a team of two, and um the other guy, John Montgomery, um, he he was just thinking about what we could do in uh, in this non-pro development area, and um, so basically, when I joined, I just started writing some prototypes. Actually, the original prototypes did not use Silverlight yet. Uh, Silverlight was still pretty early um, to 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 take too much of a dependency on it because leading up to public releases, there are a ton of changes continually, and it's hard to keep up with that. But um, 
So actually, I wrote the original prototype of, of Popfly um, just with raw JavaScript and HTML using Visual Web Developer Express. Wow. And um, <laughs> for a while... Now uh, I'm really impressed, <laughs> dude. <laughs> wow. You know, you know, it, it, Visual Studio Express is another one of those things where it's 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 a powerful tool, and uh, you can you know you can get a lot done if if you're just uh, willing to to put the effort into it, and um, yeah. So for for a while, I would just uh, email the source code back and forth. It was a while till we had an actual um, repository, and um, and basically, as as we started to build the team up and got more serious about it, um, that's where we took the the bet on Silverlight, which was hugely beneficial for us. I mean, I certainly hated writing the 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 JavaScript that had to um, do DHTML in a cross-browser way. Um, and so, um, but still, a lot of the Silverlight uh, code that I write and others on the team, we just use Notepad uh, sure. or, or Visual Studio. Um, we'll use uh, Expression Blend for um, certain uh, more graphically intense things, but we, you know, we we use whatever whatever works. We're a pretty small team, and um, you know, talking about graphic designers, um, we don't even have a graphic designer. So a lot of the <laughs> the graphics we just do on our own. Or um, actually, I don't know if you've heard some of the sound effects on Popfly. That's like me just whistling into the microphone. All right, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You know, people think that uh, Microsoft has unlimited resources, but... Uh, we could use you on Mondays, because, you know, that's about... <laughs> we the, always need sound effects. That's the quality of our sound effects. Ah. <laughs> 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 no, but uh, it's just very impressive. And, uh, yeah, that was the first thing I mentioned. I, I, that was the first thing that came to mind was like, oh, my God, this this guy is brilliant to have done this with Silverlight 1.0. And maybe I don't want to... Maybe I don't want to see the code. <laughs> Is it? Does it? Is, do you, is is it? It's an open source thing, right? I mean, the code is available to look at, or is well, um, since it is a website that uses a lot of JavaScript, and um, and for Silverlight to ren- render it gets the XAML down on the client. You could hack into it and, and see uh, the JavaScript and XAML that's that's yeah. used, although you don't actually get to see it in the original source form. Um, it's a bit uh, okay. modified. So no, you can't really see it, but but it really um it it's not as as hard or it, it doesn't take a genius to do it. Um, a lot of it is just straightforward usage of the features Silverlight 1.0 provides. I think that um, I don't know. I think people don't realize how easy it is. Oh, well, good. So should we wait? Should we dig into Silverlight 1.0 now, or should we wait if we want to get our hands dirty? I see no reason to wait. Um, I, I guess it depends on on what you have in in mind. Uh, you know, why why are you looking at Silverlight yeah. in the first place? Yeah. Um, certainly, learning 1.0 is is a great start because 2.0 is a superset of 1.0. Um, it's not like the things you learn are going to become obsolete. Right. Um, maybe there there's some techniques that were, you had to use that took a lot of effort in 1.0 that 2.0 just makes really really easy. Um, for instance, on uh, Popfly, there's a guy on our team who um, basically created a scroll bar from scratch. Wow. And, uh, and we use that in, in a few spots. That kind of thing, yeah, certainly once 2.0 comes, you just use the built-in scroll bar, and there's no reason to, to go to all that effort. But, but even in creating that, you learn a, a heck of a lot that you can apply to other custom things you'd want to do in Silverlight. Um, it all comes down to learning the events, learning uh, how to how to draw things, what what APIs are provided. So I get the sense that those that will are willing to dive into Silverlight 1.0 and understand what's going on in it are just going to be that much stronger in 2.0, being able to dip under the covers as necessary to get what they want. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's fair to say. I mean, basically, learning about Silverlight 1.0 and learning about WPF are are the two best preparations for Silverlight 2.0, um, since WPF shows you the direction that Silverlight is going and already has some of the features that Silverlight 2.0 is going to have. And um, Silverlight 1.0, just to, uh, I guess, get used to the model of, of how it integrates with, with a web page. Um, and even though there will be differences with how exactly you hook up 
one o content with two o content um it's all it's it's all good stuff to learn i think for the mashups themselves um are you using web services and r s s feeds only or do you actually do any screen scraping so that actually depends on the authors of what we call blocks which are the 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 uh components that form a mashup. Right. Um, so we provide a bunch of built-in blocks, but anyone can write a block. In fact, the majority of the blocks on PopFly are user-contributed. And all a block is, is uh, right now it's a JavaScript class with a little bit of XML that describes what the class is doing. So anything you can write in JavaScript, you can, you can have as a PopFly block and use in a PopFly mashup. So a number of the blocks... Their sole job is to display incoming data, mm-hmm. and typically that's using Silverlight, but it could use HTML, or someone could even use Flash if they wanted to. It's, it's but like just, the Virtual Earth block is going to use the is going to use the web services provided by Virtual Earth, and um, you know, like the the some of the um, the like the fo- image search, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so the stuff that actually goes and gets. Um, is, is there any is there any of them that you have to resort to screen scraping? I, I guess that's my yes, question. Yes, there there is uh, actually a, a block that Microsoft provides called Image Scraper that uh, I believe you just give it a URL and it um, spits out all the images it finds on that page. Ah. Um, so, uh, but that's probably in the minority. There's so many great web services out there that. Um, People yeah. seem to enjoy writing blocks that wrap them. And RSS feeds, too. There's a whole category called News and RSS. Right. Some great we've stuff got, there. Uh, yes, we've got a generic RSS block that you point it to a feed and it'll give you the data in a meaningful fashion. Or if you have some custom experience you want to provide on top of RSS, it's easy for you to write your own block. One kind of neat thing is that every single block, any PopFly user can view the source code to that and um, tweak it or, or do whatever they want to it. So a number of blocks that people have contributed are just slight variations on blocks that are already there but solve a specific problem they had. I love the carousel. Oh, yeah. All that great visual stuff. Just yeah. very, very cool. And that's why Silverlight is so so important for us. Um, the, the slick visuals is, is really important. And Silverlight makes it possible to do these kinds of things in a way that is very accessible to, uh, to anyone, really, whether you're a, a developer or just tinkering around. The fact that you can just see the XAML and clearly see what properties can be tweaked, it's, it's pretty easy to play around with. Very, very slick. I can't see. Did I mention that I really like it? You did. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output. Give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. I guess the question is, where is PopFly going? What is this ultimately going to lead to? Well, um, it, it's that's a good question. So, Right now, I'm working on um, something with PopFly that I'm really, really excited about and wish I could talk about it, uh, but I can't <laughs> quite yet. <laughs> so, um, but what I could say is you can expect more from PopFly. PopFly is not just about mashups. Um, today, that is the, the main thing that we do, um, although we do also let you create um, arbitrary web pages as well, but the mashups is the main thing we're, we're focusing on. But we are trying to um, basically enable anyone to express themselves online. And um, so that could be a a variety of different content you may want to create and and also importantly share with friends, whether you're sharing it through some existing social network like Live Spaces or Facebook, or you're just simply emailing a URL or, or however you want to share your creations. We want to make it just truly easy to create and share something something unique and something that that a lot of people would find uh, fun to do. Hey, I just got an error message that you might like to know about. 
Okay. It says, sorry, you cannot add the whack-a-mole block unless you delete the carousel block. <laughs> Both of them want to control the entire display, but only one can at a time. The yeah. whack-a-mole block. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I would also point out that's a very coherent error message. Yeah. It's a good error message. It, it's better than error 1007, contact your administrator. Yeah. Oh, well, if you get a true error, um, we have a, a nice um, error message somewhere in there that's um, internal error 42. And ah, just, 42. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just, yeah, that's kind of just a joke on our end. Uh, it, we thought, well, might as well show something different than unexpected error. But, um, but yeah, that, that's a great, uh, the whack-a-mole block. There's been a number of these fun game-like <laughs> blocks that people have contributed. Can, what um, do you hook the whack-a-mole block up to? This is my... Oh. <laughs> anything and anything that gives you photos so uh, oh, no popular, kidding. yeah yeah a popular oh. um use of it could be you could say if you have an account on facebook you can use the facebook block and say get my facebook friends and hook them into whack-a-mole so you whack then, your facebook friends in the head exactly awesome and I'm amazed how much of a role the social sites play in popfly I'm just searching here mm. and found well, disturbingly, 16 different implementations of Whack-A-Mole, uh, but <laughs> 1,285 implementations against Facebook. Mm. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> Facebook's in very interesting. I mean, um, you're probably aware of, of all the buzz around their uh, platform since they opened it up. Yeah, who and owns all the data? What? The whole who owns the data thing on, on Facebook. I know I put my data in there, but there's some question whether it's still mine once it's there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there are certainly um, a number of Facebook applications. And in fact, if you look at the most popular Facebook applications, they're pretty silly. And um, so there's, there's that sense of, um, you know, silliness with Popfly and just creating random things that um we you know we make easy if 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 it weren't for popfly you might have a hard time it wouldn't be worth your effort to try to create a whack my facebook friends game um but with popfly you can easily create these silly applications and facebook is just a natural place uh for silly applications to live i guess i'm playing asteroids with a picture of the popfly team ah i yeah. don't know that that's actually a good thing <laughs> i'm still trying to figure that part out and, and of course, I, I see that an angle on this is the whole concept of development without developers. Yes. yes. Well, yes. Um, certainly, developers are important for feeding the ecosystem. So they build uh, the blocks. They built the blocks. Yes. And although someone who isn't a developer could uh, maybe take an existing block and tweak it, it's unlikely they're going to create a block from scratch. It does involve writing code. Um, right. So if the developers create all these interesting blocks, then anyone can come in, stitch them together, and create some unique applications um, out of it. But, but yeah, we definitely want to raise the, uh, the level of participation from uh, people that don't normally consider themselves developers, or if they're young people that um, this helps them kind of get an interest in programming, that's awesome as well. Now, what's really about tapping sources of creativity? Yes. Hmm. Although this is really a proof that, for the most part, people's creativity is pretty silly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, man. There's some great stuff there. What uh, what kinds of things will you be able to do with Silverlight 2.0 with Popfly that that you just said, ah, that's too hard? Um, so that's interesting. I think one big request is in supporting other languages um, in, a, in a reasonable way. Uh, so the fact that we there's the potential for um, people to to work in languages other than JavaScript, which yeah. for right now surfaces in the writing of a block, um, that's potentially a, a huge thing for us. Um, some of the other features I think um, involve the the part of Popfly that I can't talk about yet. Oh, okay. Um, so that's all right. I, we'll find out eventually. Yeah, just uh, keep keep checking back, and you'll see some really fun stuff coming soon, I'll say. But i got to think that Silverlight 2.0 will have a huge impact on what will happen uh, with Popfly. 
Yes, cer- certainly. Um, I think we we view ourselves as a nice um, a nice example of what you can do with Silverlight, and we'll continue to want to take advantage of all that Silverlight has to offer. Would you be interested in doing a uh, a DNR TV show showing us some Silverlight One O tricks? Sure, because I'm sure that a lot of people would uh, might you know it might be a good bridge for people to walk over to get them into Silverlight One O because I think you know some people are intimidated or they've heard it's difficult. You know, there's really nothing to be intimidated about. I think mm. um, there's. So much you can do with with just a little bit of XAML, and XAML is very, very approachable. I find it even easier to learn than HTML because it is limited and consistent, and uh, there aren't 10 different ways to do the same thing. Yeah. So um, I, I find it to be very straightforward, and I'm not sure what the source of most people's intimidation is, but... Um, but yes, I, I would love to show people how, how easy it is to, to do a lot with Silverlight. Very cool. So the other thing that I think that's happening is I wonder if we're in that cycle where everybody thinks this will get easier in the next version, so I'm just going to wait. That's that's possible. I think that um, I, I would guess that one of the, the biggest um, things is just it takes some time and um, and some momentum for it to become commonplace. So certainly if you are looking for for instance, graphic designers that are well-versed in Silverlight, that's going to take a bit of time. And if you do want a larger percentage of people to already have uh, the ActiveX control installed, again, that's going to take a bit of time. Um, but as time passes, the um, Silverlight is becoming more and more ubiquitous. More and more people have the skill set to, to really produce outstanding visuals. So, you know, I, I think it, it just, it's expected that, um that it takes some time to uh, to really see it spread on such a widespread scale. You know, one uh, one thing I am noticing is uh, on this tablet PC anyway that there's it, there's quite a bit of CPU usage when when you boot up Popfly and you start having and, some of those games and things on there. Right, and that can depend. Um, certainly, um, I expect cases like this to improve uh, with two O. Um, I, I would say that uh, in a lot of cases, Popfly is kind of, um, uh, I don't know if pushing the limits is the right term, but you know, using, using all the, the functionality that's, that's out there. And yeah. um, certainly some of the blocks there do a lot of fancy things. Um, and combining that with, uh, with transparency and certain, certain Silverlight settings that can be more CPU intensive. Yeah. This is completely client centric code, right? You're, you're looking at JavaScript running there and lots of it. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Combined with graphical intensity. Right. Right. In, in a lot of cases, it can just be, uh, uh, the way, the way JavaScript is independent of Silverlight. And that's where 2.0 with, uh, the ability to do, um, other languages, um, rather than, than just the browser's JavaScript engine can also play a big factor um, in performance. Oh, very good. Well, and it's interesting to think that, you know, the Popfly machines, the Popfly servers don't do any of the work here. They're purely providing the resources, the information to load to the browser for it to do the mashup, to actually do the executing around it. So this, all that work's happening in the context of the browser. Absolutely, and that, that has been huge for us, uh, the fact that... Um, that the majority of the work happens on the client has allowed us to scale quite nicely. And you're not responsible for actually making any of that stuff happen. You're just a, a register, a place to record all of these things. Is the development cycle when you're making these Popfly mashups much the same, that you're largely doing the work on the client and then loading things to the server? Um, right. Pretty much uh, the server is important because you need to store your, your mashup somewhere. And uh, we internally use something called Windows Live Storage to store people's projects. Right. And um, so, yeah, the, the development process is client-side. The running is client-side. Um, there's some, there's some uh, things that the server actually needs to do um, at runtime, um, the way we enable cross-domain communication, for example, right. um, just to uh, escape some browser limitations. But, but, yeah, for the most part, it's all about the client. What about the blocks? What is, how are those built? I mean, obviously we talked about developers building them, but are they building them in anything they want? Um, that is 
definitely uh, a possibility. Um, we provide a simple text editor in the site itself. Right. But the for the best experience of building a block, you can use Visual Studio. We actually have a plugin for Visual Studio. Uh, Popfly Explorer is what it's called, and that gives you the IntelliSense and a ah. reasonable way to run and debug your your creation. Um, so, um, but certainly it's not a requirement. Um, the website is basically providing some simple text boxes, so you could do that with Notepad or your tool of choice. All depends on how complex you want to get in the the parsing side of things to try and pull that data together for the block to be able to be used. Right, right. I'm I'm pretty comfortable using Notepad for a lot of things, but but uh, but right, there are definitely tools that are that are much more appropriate for for writing code. Yeah, <laughs> I find if you call it Visual Notepad, then you fa- <laughs> you sound smarter. Yeah. Now, do you um do you happen to know what we have in store for tools uh, for Silverlight two o? Um, well, I, I believe the story is going to be the same um, as with WPF, which is a good thing because uh, there are obviously um, uh, huge similarities in the way that you work with both of them, and those similarities should just uh, increase over time. So for developers, Visual Studio, and for designers, Expression. Okay. All right. Very good. So, I imagine the the Silverlight stuff will just be in, you know uh, included as part of the ASP.NET Designer. Um, yeah, I I don't know the specifics on on how that's going to seems, surface. It seems like that would be the natural thing. I right. think. So I get the fact that you know you were deeply involved in the CLR team in ninety nine two thousand, and so naturally coming out of that was building the Com Interop book. Mm-hmm. And your experiences around Popfly certainly uh, laid things out for you for Silverlight. Where did WPF come into all of this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in between uh, being on the CLR team, I was on that team for, I believe, six years. Um, and before joining the Popfly team, I actually did a year-long project that we called Win32 to WinFX. Um, and the purpose of this was to look at some of the issues around taking large C++ code bases and um, having them take advantage of .NET or, or take advantage of WinFX, of course, what we uh, the term we used at the time, right? And um, and where that started was basically um, taking an application. There's one that I, I blogged about at the time, uh, Internet Hearts which was the card game that shipped with Windows XP. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, that actually was a pretty decent-sized code base. I published the numbers. and um, <laughs> Cards DLL. Yes. Card, yeah, cards. I read that post. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, cards.dll was pretty funny, and I actually added those signatures to pandfolk.net after uh, uh, <laughs> becoming familiar with that. But um, in this case, what I actually did was uh, take the game and migrate it to use uh, WPF for the presentation and WCF for the communication and um, and, and keep uh, all the core logic in place, which was more than you might imagine. And um, so that that's how I became familiar with WPF. And in the process of uh, blogging about it and um, posting various samples, uh, my actually, I think within the span of a few weeks, um, two different publishers asked me, hey, are you thinking about writing a WPF book? <laughs> and one of them happened to be Sam's, who I worked with on the Interop book, and yeah. uh, they basically convinced me into doing it. I mean, I think about this because I'm old enough to be pre-Windows even, but really what WPF is all about is replacing the GDI, mm. getting rid of that Win32, I'd say arguably the oldest chunk of code still mm. in use in Windows. Mm with this completely different way of saying, here's how I want you to show something. Right. That, that this declarative uh, structure that is XAML mm-hmm. that says, this is what I want you to display. And, and it, that goes all the way down deep into the plumbing now. Right. So um, the, the main thing about, I, right, there, there are a number of things that, that distinguishes um, the way WPF works. And, um, Definitely the declarative aspect of it is huge. I mean, Win32 has always had some amount of that, like in resource uh, files, um, or what, what were those? Um, 
there's uh, the declarative way to specify dialog boxes and, right. and things like that. But um, what we've got in this case is a large set of APIs that are just naturally suited for this declarative model. So what that basically means is a lot of the functionality is exposed is exposed in simple properties, and um, they expose a number of rich events, and you don't actually have to call methods in order to uh, do a lot of your UI uh, or, or really any of the core functionality that these objects provide. So that naturally lends itself to a language like XAML, which is, by the way, a completely general-purpose language for specifying, I want to instantiate these .NET objects and set these properties and hook these events. Uh, there's nothing intrinsically about XAML that is specific to the graphics domain. Right. And, and so, um, but, what, but it, it allows something that's great for tools, great for hand-tweaking, and at the end of the day, in WPF anyway, that gets compiled um, into a binary format that can be used efficiently at runtime. But it's all just a nice set of .NET objects that, whether you do use XAML or you use plain old procedural code, uh, there's a consistent way to do all these things and, and a way that is naturally suited for radical restyling and completely re-implementing the, the visual side of things while keeping the logic intact, which is, is a major departure, of course, from Win32, where a button is a button, and it looks like a button, and if you want to do something else, you probably don't want a button. So, Yeah, but, uh, it's a great rethink about how we're going to build uh, applications. Right. And I, I just find it fascinating as a guy who spent a long time on the plumbing side of this stuff to think, wow, we're able to get all the way down to uh, WPF ultimately manifesting itself properly in video cards or in other sorts mm. of hardware-level devices mm. so that we we take advantage of the uh, evolutions in technology. We've got so much more horsepower now, and we're just not using it. Right, right. And so being able to build apps where you as a programmer don't have to write the code to say, oh, if I got one of those, we'll do this. Yes. That all of that sort of falls out naturally from this declarative structure. Yes. Adam, we have about time for one last question. And uh, it's, it's, it's a subjective question, so I'm just going to throw it out there. What do, what do you think is the coolest thing you can do on Popfly? The coolest thing you can do? What's your favorite thing? What's your favorite block or thing to do? I think that um, it has to be... Um, a set of blocks that actually um, almost all of them were user contributed, which are the the more game type of blocks. So you actually stumbled across asteroids and whack-a-mole. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of um, of things like that that really, for one thing, take advantage of what Silverlight can do for you, and the fact that. By making it a popfly block, you can so easily hook it up to any number of data sources, yeah. whether it's getting your Facebook friends, scraping images from a random web page, getting your photo album from Flickr. Um, the fact that by by creating some simple visualization and turning it into a popfly block, you can so quickly leverage the power of the community to turn it into any number of other applications, or other people can take your simple visualization and and do the same thing. Um, that that's the part that I, I find pretty exciting, and um, definitely the uh, you can expect uh, popfly to continue going along the lines where it becomes easier and easier to create whether it's visually interesting content or um, or content that's interesting in other ways by the way it plugs into existing assets out there. Um, I, I find that to be pretty, pretty, pretty neat. And, and seeing that uh, non-developers out there can take advantage of it just makes it that much cooler. Are we going to see a Silverlight 2.0 unleashed? <laughs> <laughs> if... if uh, if the publisher has their way, um, <laughs> so well, okay. I'm sure there will be a Silverlight 2.0 unleashed. The question is whether I'm going to be the one writing it. Right. Ah, um, that's I, really my question. Yes, <laughs> I I have yet to um, to decide. I, it's going to be a, a hard decision that I'll have to make with my wife. And, um, and that's all to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
as soon as a decision is made, I'll be sure to blog about it one way or the other. Okay. I, just, I haven't been able to to commit to doing that. Fair though. enough. Fair enough. Well, Adam, Nathan, thanks. It's been a, a great hour's just flown by. This has been a great show. Yeah, thank you very much. And thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, for the listeners, join us uh, next time when our guest will be Brian Noyes, and we'll be talking about composite WPF. Until then, drive slow. Watch out for that deer. See you later. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com.